Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Film Roundtable. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Maria Prieto. I'm one of the co-founders of Film Roundtable, and I am incredibly thrilled to be joined by these very talented cinematographers today. We have Nico Aguilar and Gavin Kelly. Gavin's recent work includes the acclaimed Apple TV anthology series, Little America, and Emmy award-winning series, Wu-Tang, An American Saga. His formative cinematography on the pilot helped create the look and tones of the series and evolved along the cinematic storytelling in the Wu universe. Prior to this, Gavin is a DP on four cinematic seasons of the renowned anthology series, American Horror Story. His feature work includes films honored at many top international film festivals, including Sundance, South by Southwest, Toronto, and Tribeca. Gavin, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And alongside Gavin, I'm thrilled to welcome back Nico Aguilar. Nico's <laughs> recent work focuses on a wide range of long-form projects in both television and film. He recently finished the Netflix film Chupa, directed by Jonas Guaron and produced by Chris Columbus. Prior to that, he shot Charlie Day's feature debut, El Tonto, and the 21 Pilots live stream experience. Nico has always worked second, has also, not always, has also worked second unit for some of the most renowned filmmakers in the industry on projects for Marvel, Apple, and Hulu. Nico, thanks for always saying yes when I invite you to chat with me. On one of Are you kidding me? Thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and okay, is that Winnie behind you for those listening? That you know. is Winnie behind me for any dog lovers that are listening. Oh. A little, uh, little fun perk for yep yeah oh for my the, gosh for the viewers you're able to see her for the listeners we can just describe how adorable she is <laughs> yes yes um, she keeps me sane yes yeah uh, big therapy dog um all right well I obviously lifted listed off some you know big accomplishments with both of you your work speaks for itself but I always like to get a little bit further into the origin stories, into those early days of inspiration. So Gavin, I'd love for you to take us a little bit into your background. You know, what was that initial spark that led you to this path ultimately of, you know, cinematography? Uh, yeah, um, let's see. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm from San Diego, California. So not too far away from uh, where we are now, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I grew up, you know, I grew up, um, I was an only child, actually. So in retrospect, at the time, you know, I had friends and stuff hung out, but I, I realized I just spent a good amount of time kind of in my head, kind of in my own imagination when I was really young, which I think, you know, who knows? I don't want to over-psychoanalyze myself, but definitely was always kind of creating, you know, stories and characters in my head. And I read a lot and I was kind of very kind of an introvert. Um, and then, you know, that, you know, I was I kind of, uh, you know, grew older and, uh, you know, kind of matured uh, teenage years and stuff. I, I had a camera in my hand a lot. My dad, my dad, you know, was an amateur photographer, but you know, when I think about like family trips and, you know, family events and everything, he always had a camera, my grandfather as well. So I think there's something there, you know, I don't know if I really consciously knew about it, but I had a camera in my, you know, still, still camera in my hand pretty young. And then in high school, make, you know, movies with my friends with like a little high eight cam this is in the 90s not you know high eight cam cores and you know all that stuff so even though I wasn't taking it frankly too seriously early on you know it was just something fun and I love being creative with my friends I think you know it's those formative years just being comfortable with the camera just starting to intuitively work with the camera 
even if it's making, you know, silly home movies or something or little, you know, where, where you're cutting in camera, you know what I mean? Okay. You know, okay. Now everybody, you know, turn around, we're going to do, I didn't know what a reverse shot was at the time. I didn't know what to call it, but like, you know, okay. Now, you know, just having watched, you know, so many films and TV, it was just kind of intuitively, okay, th this must be how you put things together in a very rudimentary way. So, um, so yes, yeah, that was kind of high school. And then I ended up going to, um, UCSD, the visual arts program in San Diego, uh, which is, uh, which I loved. It was very, it's very arts driven. It's kind of um, conceptual, experimental, kind of cross, just, you know, interdisciplinary a little bit. Um, you know, a lot of theory, a lot of critical study, like all of that kind of merged together. But what was great about it as undergrad is, um, it was just very, a great explorative time. Like, you know, we shot 16 and video again, this was like late nineties. Um, and cut, you know, you were cutting on film then, we were cutting like early days, pre-final cut, like Media 100, you're cutting tape to tape. We had, we did all this, it was like a mix. It's kind of like at that transition, of course, of very early, early digital, still coming from film, shot a lot of 16, but uh, it was an opportunity to kind of just explore without, you know, thinking really too much at that time about a career or anything. You know, I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be a cinematographer specifically, that was all about, you know, it was very kind of, everybody's a filmmaker and, you know, you know, at that time I was directing like every other student writing and, but I was definitely drawn towards the camera and shoot other, you know, students projects. And it was always kind of, I kept coming back to being the most comfortable behind the camera. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really kind of a formative experience. And then uh, was fortunate from that program to go actually straight into USC, um, the graduate program, which was amazing and kind of, you know, when I look back on it now, is, is coming from two, you know, coming from very experimental kind of conceptual arts-based program to, of course, SC, which is kind of the powerhouse of, uh, you know, I mean, everything, there's everything that in the SC program and you kind of find your niche, but it's also, you know, introducing you into the Hollywood system and, you know, kind of deeper delve into, you know, kind of the classic Hollywood approach. And, and, so it was great, you know, that's where I really decided I want to be a cinematographer was at SC. Again, same kind of thing. I went in as a, you know, writer, director, was making films. And then I really just said, you know, I really love, I love cinematography. This is where my, my strongest passion is. I feel like as a kind of key collaborator, that's where, where my drive is. Um, I love the collaborative aspect of it. You know, the kind of chemical reaction of working with the director and all the other departments. And it's kind of this alchemy kind of magic that I love as a GP. So that's kind of where it took off from there. Um, so shot, you know, everything I could in film school and thesis films and all that and came out of film school with a, just a big drive to keep shooting. So, you know, I crewed, you know, I crewed in different departments, a little bit in camera, a bit in group and electric, but really just tried to start shooting, um, sorry, shooting everything I could early on, you know, for the first few years, paid, non-paid, just right, try to get experience, build, connections, networks, all that kind of stuff. And uh, shot indie films for, for which I love for, for quite a few years. And um, just somewhat recently in the past, like what, five, six, maybe six or seven years stepped into episodic um, because there's so many great, you know, I mean, now we're in kind of the, <laughs> the extreme edge, <laughs> version of episodic where there's so much, you know, so much content that content, I hate that word, but so, you know, so many series and, and, and mini series and programs that it's kind of, it's, it, it's, it's overwhelming. But at that time, it was still early enough, you know, a lot of filmmakers that I knew or kind of contemporaries were stepping in from, you know, indie features into, 
into episodic at that time because that's where a lot of the exciting material what you know like directors dps really ever even you know talent was also so i was like okay let's let's um it's be great to see if i can you know have an opportunity to step into that world and shot a couple of, like you know episodic pilots and stuff and then um but the first years i really stepped into in a big way was was horror story actually american horror story and um a friend and colleague of mine nelson craig was shooting uh in the Ryan Murphy universe there he's shooting, he shot the OJ um, series, uh, you know, American Crime Story, some other series and um, was doing a bit of horror story one season then had to step away and there was kind of a shuffle with timing and everything. So I shot some additional photography and units and then long story short, I ended up on that show and um, shot half of a season and ended up shooting three other seasons and just had, I mean, it was a big, really big opportunity career-wise, but also just, I mean, it's a, you know, I don't know what you know about the show, but it's a wild ride of a show. You know, it's horror, but it's there's action. It's obviously the drama. It's it's everything is and every season is its own. It's an anthology, right? So that was the huge draw was you know when I was asked back for the second season, the third season. It's every season, okay. Obviously, we're within this American Horror Story. You know, a certain kind of aesthetic. You know, there's a whole history in terms of that universe, but every season does get, allow you to have a bit of a reset and. And, uh, you know, you're in a new world, new time period, new palette, you know, new approaches visually and stuff. And then from there, started shooting um, more episodic pilots and series like the Wu-Tang series and Little America. And um, yeah, so it's that's a long kind of drawn out answer, but hopefully that gets us somewhere. No, yeah, I love that. Oh, my God. I mean, just hearing the appetite that you had as soon as you realized like, oh, this is this is where I fit. This is the role I want to take. And you just, you know, out the gates, we're just shooting, 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 like just, yeah, it's that hunger that I think really is what can propel you to greatness. And I love, um, there's a couple bits when you were talking about shooting on like, you know, the DV cameras with your friends. One of my favorite memories was um, my birthday party when I was nine, my parents put together a film shoot and my dad wrote a script, like a five page script. And I think I'd invited 10 girls, but he didn't want to write 10 roles. He wrote five roles and I used trickery, like in camera trickery. So basically the girls would be like one role for the first half of the film. And then he would like cut and then they would turn into like the same character, but it would just like switch people. And oh my gosh, I love it. It was one of those moments where I remember <laughs> we were losing light because me and my friends were just having so much fun in the backyard. <laughs> my dad, he was shooting and he was stressing out. Like he was treating it as if we were truly in a production. <laughs> but it was amazing. It was so fun. And yeah, I think that's what I still find so exciting when you're on a set and it still feels like you're playing and you're with your friends and it still feels like make-believe and anything could happen. And now we just get, you know, bigger toys and but when you're with people and collaborators that truly are on that wavelength it does feel like you know you're 10 years old and you're just using your imagination absolutely um nico well the other thing i wanted to ask actually gavin is would your dad you mentioned he was kind of a bit of an amateur photographer would he develop his own film did he have a, a oh i'm interested in that question too yeah no no honestly no he um he my dad has a great, I mean, he has a great eye and, but it really is, you know, he, I mean, now he's into Photoshop and all that stuff, but at the time, you know, obviously that's, this is all film. Uh, but no, honestly, not development. I don't think he was that kind of deep into it as more, I don't know. It's, uh, 
again, it was a lot of, we would, you know, take family trips and fortunately, like my parents loved to travel and we traveled a lot. And that was also a big part of, I mean, not to, I don't want to digress, but that was, those two went together, I guess, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it's like, there's this exploratory kind of curious nature, uh, you know, that went with the, went the, you know, kind of coalesced with the photography a bit, you know, it was like um, observing and taking it in and trying to find, you know, uh, find the right perspective of how the camera can capture a moment or since it, you know, not to have, you know, I'm, I'm film schooling a little bit. It wasn't like that, but you know, like what, what does this feel like? What does this moment feel like in a new place that we haven't been or, or, or this world or this environment or the, you know, or people. So it was like, it came a lot from that. I think that was part of the nature of it as well, uh, but no, he didn't develop anything. It was more, it was just, it was all film, you know, he, he, he was, he, but he was definitely like the, you know, tourist photographer with the, you know, the cameras and the, and I have a picture of my grandpa as well. He'd have the camera and all the lenses. You know, it's very kind of like, oh, here comes the tour, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, but, you know, it, but it, I still, I think I got a lot from that. And then when I started picking up a camera on my own and, and, and I think the storytelling with like you said, with the handy cam, with the DV cameras and all that was, was actually a big part of it too. Because you, if, as soon as you're hands on with something like that, you're, it's just trial and error, right? It's just kind of like, oh, you know, oh, how, how can we make this shot? You know, without really knowing what you're doing, you're just kind of stumbling through it. But you you are learning and developing a sense of what can work and what not work, and mm-hmm. how to, how to make totally people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, what about you, Nico? In terms of your first experiences with the camera? No, I I honestly want to jump in on the DV cam th- thing that you're <laughs> mentioning because uh, when you're talking about that, it made me remember that when I started like shooting on my DV camera, I only had one tape. So I kept re-recording over that tape. And by the way, that wasn't my tape. That was my parents' tape. (laughs) And they recorded this conference. And so the other day I was, you know, looking over it because I was so curious, like, oh, my God, this is my beginning, you know. And I'm looking over it and it's the weirdest thing because the first five (laughs) seconds, it's the conference. It's like very, you know, serious Mexican, you know, just saying like, oh, the the trees of Mexico, blah, 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 blah. And then it cuts to my face, just like, bam, like a nine-year-old face being like, like, you know, trying to like act because I was also my own actor. So I would like hold a camera and be like, where am I? I'm in this crazy world. And I'd pan the camera and my dog would be there. And then it would, of course, cut again and it would be back to the conference and it'd be like, Los Arboles de Mexico. And then it would cut again and it would be like me and my friends like doing this short film. And it's really funny because it's so inconsistent, you know, but I could see all these little films and all these little chapters that I would shoot on that one DV tape. And it made me remember because you're right. It is such an exploratory phase um, that has this number one. It has this element of of, of wonder because you're like, oh my god, I'm recording what's in front of me in this tape forever, you know. And that idea of recording something forever, capturing it, was incredible. And then the mm-hmm. second layer to that is I get to choose what part of what's in front of me I get to capture and then the third layer to it is what I choose in front of me to capture and how I I move the camera around and what I'm filming is going to influence the audience's feeling or perspective on what's going on 
-hmm. of course i didn't have the language to recognize this but i knew that there was something really interesting going on whenever i would hold a camera and you know choose to zoom in on something or whatever and i guess that's kind of been a really big part of my origins because um i feel like growing up the camera always had this gravitational pull towards me where mm -hmm. you know no matter what i was doing or what point in my life i was somehow it would just always draw me back to the camera to filmmaking or to image making and um and that was really interesting you know when i was nine years old i was living in new york city and i remember being absolutely obsessed with two people that have nothing to do with each other one of them was jim carrey <laughs> and the other one was the painter botero and equal admiration by the way which is you know it, it should tell you so much about a kid's mind that you know i didn't really separate them in my head i was just like they're both so cool one of them paints these amazing big creatures and then the other one's this hilarious actor and i was like drawn to both worlds and mm. what was confusing for me at the time is that i didn't really know what about the two worlds was really drawing me and i think what it was was an ability to express yourself you know, because they're both very graphic in how they express themselves in their medium, but they, mm -hmm. they both rely on the image to express themselves. Mm -hmm. And that I think was ultimately when I grew up, what I realized was really drawing me to, to both. And fun fact, uh, I think for my birthday, my dad uh, got me the, the, the chance to go to his apartment and have lunch with him. Boteros, uh, not, not Jim Carrey. And I, I know, I know it would have been great for Jim Carrey, but, uh, you know, I guess, I guess he couldn't pull it off. No, 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 no. And it was actually incredible uh, meeting Botero so young because he, I mean, it was just someone that I really admired, but uh, getting closer to that, you know, artistic energy to me was ex extremely influential and very very inspiring and mm. um and yeah i just kept getting pulled to the camera I, one of my family friends flor garduño would you know always sort of not teach me per se about the camera but you know just in conversation i realized there's a lot of amazing jewels of knowledge that i would get that i really appreciated and I didn't want to be a photographer back then. I didn't want to be a cinematographer back then because I didn't know what that was. But I knew that right. all these little pieces kind of made sense to me. Um, and then another funny story is my, my mom was the minister of culture in Mexico. And I was, uh, every time that I'd go, you know, hang out around her office, I'd be really restless. I still am. I'm always fidgeting and stuff. And she'd be like, oh, my God, like, you're so restless. Like, why don't you go run? And I was like, I don't want to go run. It's like, why don't you go play? And then, I don't want to go do it. And then she finally said, like, you know what? I'm going to give you a job. Go across the street and work in this old movie theater and just mm. learn a few things. It'll be fun. It'll be like, you know, you'll go do things. So I was 
the assistant to the projectionist of this old 35 millimeter movie theater. How old were you? I have no idea. I was probably like 14. Okay. Oh, wow. By this age. And that that guy was brutal on me. Like, he, <laughs> yeah, he just, he was like, oh, great, free labor, let's go. Right. And uh, he'd be like, catalog all these films. And he'd take me to the basement. And there's all these old spools of film. And he'd be like, just, you know, pull them out, look them against the light, like, find out what the title is, make sure that the, that, that coincides with the can. Um, if it's really, really degraded, let me know. And we can, I don't know how they would clean it or, or anything. And then, you know, we'd have these showings, which were a big, big deal because we'd have to obviously prep the reels, get them ready, and I'd have to be there and see him do this, this you know, act of changing the reels, changing the projectors right on time. And that was very exciting to me. Like, I didn't necessarily get to do the changing of the reels because I don't think he trusted me yet, but, but just watching it and being behind the scenes and looking at the film and celluloid and and realizing, oh my God, there's thousands of these little images, but somehow if you play them really fast against the light, it just looks like this seamless image. And just being around that to me was also extremely fascinating. And I think through my upbringing, I kept like piecing together all these things that always were, you know, had this gravitational pull for me. And um, it wasn't until I went to college and I met you, Maria, and, and I left Mexico and came to, to, to the U.S. that I realized that all these pieces had been leading me to cinematography and more specifically beyond cinematography to storytelling. And that was visual storytelling. Um, and, and that was great to feel when I finally like arrived and started doing that I realized oh my god this makes sense this made sense before I just didn't realize it but now I'm I have a name for it I have sort of a journey yeah Nico I am so curious how different your life would be if it had been Jim Carrey who you got lunch with I know right I know, I know. Complete different life path. Yes, thank, thank goodness I didn't mean it because my life is not, does not belong in front of the camera. It only belongs um, behind it. You did, you slightly, you touched on this, but yesterday we were talking a little bit about your early influences with Flor de Garduño. And I mean, what a privilege to have, you know, grown up amongst such a talented force. But you were describing a little bit about her process and, you know, her use of single source light and how that, truly fascinated you. And I'd love for you to kind of just share a little bit about that because I just thought it was so beautiful. Yeah, what's interesting about Flor is that, you know, she, her, her photography is so simple in the elements of it, but the way she uses these elements, and by elements, I mean the background, the light, the composition, the uh, subject, the props, like all these elements that, that she's using are are simple you know you look at them and you know exactly what they are and they're single objects a lot of the time it's a single person it, it, it's but in her arrangement of things it's incredibly complex and it has this 
elegance that um, looks simple, but is actually extremely, extremely complex. And again, th this is something I realized later, but when the, 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 the times I, I was lucky enough to be around her and, and hear her talk about photography, um, I would really recognize that um, she would rely on, I think, these, these simple elements because they told the story um, immediately, you know, and they sort of embraced certain natural aspects of, of the story she was trying to tell um, that were also very appropriate. Like the fact that she includes nature and nude bodies, but she also includes a very natural background and natural light is all creating this cohesive, um, you know, vision. And again, like for photography that has so many tools and so many lights and, you know, so many different lenses and so many different cameras and everything, it can be very overwhelming. And seeing someone that is so effective at using such simple elements and yet making it look better than any light could ever make it look was very very impactful to me and so the times I was able to you know be at her house and see that wall that she would photograph against and see how the light would come in or her hear her talk about it or seeing a camera that, that she'd be using I mean all these things were were uh, I guess embedding seeds in my brain that that I of course one hundred percent thank her for, because subconsciously they were uh, giving me the sensibility to those natural elements that she uses so well, and that now in my cinematography I'm able to recognize that subconscious influence in my own, you know, aesthetics. Yeah, no, even, um, you know, whenever I'm starting to prep a new project, the first thing I'll go to is photography books and, you know, yeah. get inspiration from, you know, art or prints or photographers that I really admire. And I, I kind of want to dive into both of your prep processes. And Gavin, starting with you, I mean, with Wu-Tang, you really had to create this world that, you know, visually, I feel like we can all already picture because, you know, the music is so vivid, the photographs are there. Um, but I'm just, I'm really curious to know how you dove into it, um, what those conversations were like, and yeah, just how you ended up with the beauty that's on the screen. Yeah, um, yeah, Wu-Tang is, is really, that series is a really special project um, because, you know, we can't, I ended up shooting, you know, for all three seasons and started with the pilot. And our director was um, Chris Robinson for the pilot, who's a great director, very kind of bold visually, um, you know, is a series director, film director, comes from music videos. So, you know, all of that kind of has a, a great depth of, uh, you know, kind of a well of, of, of experience and, and vision. Uh, but for that series is interesting because it was very ambitious, right? So you have the Wu-Tang Clan, which again, is kind of an iconic hip hop group for fans and folks that know, you know, the music, the culture, there's, the, like you said, there's there's a lot of references of in the nineties, that time period. And of course they were one of the, the you know, and still are one of the, the biggest groups around. So there's all that, but then with the series, what was interesting about the series and what I love about the script 
um, and it was it was kind of daunting for everyone was that it was very ambitious in setting up that universe. So the first season, you know, starts in Staten Island and it's all it's like, you know, part family drama. There's there's family relationships, that whole dynamic. There's it's part kind of crime saga, very, you know, that's the truth of where the stories come from is that, um, you know, these guys were all in in a lot of them were in Staten Island and New York area and a lot of kind of intersecting struggles with selling and, and, and all this stuff and rivalries and trying to kill each other. I mean, it's like, all this is based on these, these fascinating true story. Um, so you have the family drama, the crime drama, but it's also, you know, of course the music as a means of expression and kind of a raw way for these characters, you know, these characters to, 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 have a release and connect with each other and, and a means for them to aspire to step out of, out of the, the, the kind of struggles and challenges that they're in. So all this is kind of mixed together with, of course, knowing that, you know, this is based on a real group. So you have, you're balancing all that with this still kind of a hero origin story. I mean, that was very kind of um, intentional too from the beginning is so, you know, that the, these characters are going to one way or another end up to be the Wu-Tang Clan. So it's not a mystery in that fact. So, but, and, and so you want to ground the story in all the real circumstances and reality of that situation. Well, still, it's, it's a bit of a paradox, still kind of a building icons in the same way. So it's just kind of like Chris and I and the, the whole team and with the showrunner Rizzo, of course, and Alex and, and the whole, it was, it was kind of trying to find this balance of larger than life, but still grounded at the same time. And of course, more, most importantly, because this series, you're trying to connect with these characters and you're setting up that first pilot in the season, you're setting up really a whole bunch of layers of com complex relationships. There's a lot of characters, a lot of rivalries, a lot of fans. There's a lot going on. And if you're like a deep dive Wu-Tang fan, you may know all that. But if you're coming in somewhere in the middle or not that familiar with Wu-Tang of where these guys started out, then it's it has to also be accessible, right? It has to be a story, you know, it's a, a dramatic series that's going to have peaks and valleys and twists and turns. And and so that was, that was ambitious. I do, the beginning... Um, there's a couple of things going on. It was a hero origin story, but also it didn't need to feel, this came from the showrunners and, and director. It didn't, it, it, it's like the beautiful, Chris would talk about, you know, the beautiful struggle. It's like what, what very conscious of not wanting to be, frankly, was, you know, um, you know, black drug dealers, the cliches of all that. You know what I mean? Like that, that was very conscious. You know, it's like, this is not a, whatever that term meant, you know, it doesn't, an urban something, you know, it's like, no, this is a story about real people. It's a complex story about human beings trying to figure out their way in the world through complicated circumstances. So like that was, that was tricky because it was, it had to feel, you know, there as written and in the story there, there's in those first few episodes, there's violence, there's, you know, there's all these, these things going on and there might, you might have a certain perception coming in or like a preconceived notion of what that should look like or what that should be. But our intention was definitely to make sure it's character first and that there's a certain stature to these, these people's lives that we kind of set up. So it was, you know, it's dark and dramatic and it was coming out of the shadows and the rain literally in the first kind of 10, 15 minutes. I mean, the whole show is set up. The, the first thing you see in the show is essentially a, a young Raekwon doing a drive-by on Ghost's family. And these guys aren't Raekwon and Ghost, they're, you know, <laughs> the real guys, the, you know, it's like, so, and you come out of that and then he goes to Bobby who's Riz's house, Raekwon, and they have a conversation to hide this gun. So like it starts in a very, and this is all within a few blocks of, of Staten Island, Park Hill and Stapleton, these two 
projects. So it's like all this starts very, actually very micro in this microcosm. It's all about those dynamics and how they all knew each other and they're brothers, but there's robberies and there's trying to survive and stay out of prison and get back and aspire to music at the same time. And there's a lot of failures in that first season. The first season takes a long time to kind of set up all of this. It's not like they just, you know, it's not your normal kind of, okay, now they're the, you know, look, there's introduce our characters. Now they have a couple hurdles, but now they're the Wu-Tang Clan. Look at that. No, it takes three seasons to tell that whole story and a lot of twists and turns, which I think is, of course, based on the reality of the story, but also by design uh, to make sure it's a really thick, you know, really layered tapestry of all these intersecting stories. Um, it's kind of a long way to answer, but are, we pulled, I mean, we had references from a lot of, a lot of sources. We built a lookbook with Chris, the director, and, um, but it had to be kind of a nuanced, you know, a dramatic look, but a very kind of nuanced, I don't know how else to describe it, but like we were really trying to make sure we had portrait frames in the, those first few episodes. Because again, there's so many different characters that you're introducing and want to make sure that there were always images that could, at least the intention was try to, to capture, you know, in terms of how the light's hitting a character, mixed color temperature kind of environment, or out of the shadows, a lot of silhouettes, a lot of kind of cutting out our characters in very graphic ways so that um, you kind of imprint these images of these characters in your head before you go on the journey. Mm, uh, that's really interesting. But, you know, I mean, it's, you know, and it's, it, it is a kind of sprawling, ambitious, as written, again, there's just a lot to it. You know, it's not like three characters were following or two, you know, there's the whole family and the brothers and sisters and all this. So it was keeping track and kind of making sure we were, you know, you, you literally kind of explore different, neighborhoods and parts of the environment with these characters so it's definitely moving in and out of different color palettes and kind of color you know stamps for these different looks and worlds so that you know where you are i mean it's all kind of bad and then back home into the home base and then into and you know it's one thing chris said was interesting too is it's like the beginning starts <laughs> this is a lord of the rings analogy but it was like you know starts in the shire like it starts in it's a quest, right? It's like, the, the, if you really expand on it, the whole series is a quest that these characters start in the Shire and their little, their home base is staple and their own struggles have to go on this journey to, to become the best versions of themselves and, and aspire to something greater. So it's, uh, it's a really dramatic arc, right? So, but it definitely had that quality of wanting to, to go in towards an epic, kind of uh, an epic larger than life feel, which we just finished the third season and, um, you know, it hasn't come out yet, so I can talk about it too much, but uh, it definitely, the universe keeps expanding every season. And we have a few episodes this season that take steps even further into their own realms and stylistically, oh, cool. we get to push the style. So it's like, it starts, the first thing is very grounded in that reality and it's literally all, and now as the, literally as the Wu-Tang kind of universe, the culture of that, the music, the care, the personas, the characters, they each kind of like, it, it's this, growing in this kind of big bang of everything growing in all these directions at once, which is really fun. It was really kind of a unique project to be part of, and I'm really grateful to be part of it. And we had Riza directing two of the episodes himself, Riza from the Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, wow. Uh, the last, last couple wow. of episodes, which was a beautiful, you know, he's a showrunner. It's his, his show with Alex C, but what's great about him directing, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously sure. So he's been around and has very much been involved in there, but directing every day, you know, all set on set, his a version of his own story is a fascinating process to be a part of, because, I mean, you're talking about interesting Nico, like the, you know, the camera on yourself, you know, as a kid, but like him as a right, you know, cause he's a filmmaker as well. He's directed before, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's an artist, a kind of Renaissance, Renaissance artist of all these different 
you know, at this point in his career, but him seeing him process and working with him as he's, you know, narrativizing a version of, you know, what, what things have to be accurate and very specific to how things happen and a certain tone or texture or from wardrobe to, you know, right. the feel the light, how the camera should see or just perspective of a certain moment is of reality from 20, 25 years ago, but then also the narrative aspect. We're making a narrative by series of certain events have been, you know, in characters right. and moments. Change so that the narrative makes sense. Yeah. Right. So, of you course. know, he's a, he's, and he's, so it's, he's able to do that balance and in, in real time, you know, we prepped really well together and spent a lot of time, but then also on the day, he'll, we'll be inspired by certain moments based on something that happens. And we had a couple of these epic, this particular real epic episode that's just its own other wild uh, universe. But uh, it was a, it was a that's fun awesome. journey. Yeah. Wow. What an interesting thing to work with a director that's almost telling his own story, you know? You know, and it's a story that that more than written, it's sort of living in, in pop culture in a lot of the ways. So it's that must be a really, really interesting challenge. Mm-hmm. Also visually, I'm sure for, for, for you to bring that about and how it feels so that, you know, it feels adequate to their vision and their world. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, and, you know, just him. So Lieutenant Clan is a, is a group of, a whole group of, you know, nine, t- 10 guys. So and obviously all the other characters involved, but so you, and not, I mean, it's, it gets very meta very quickly because you have the whole, right. We have a whole wonderful cast playing these characters. So then, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like an alternate version of the Wu-Tang. <laughs> right. Right. Someone, you know, Ashton Sanders is a lovely actor playing Riza, And then, but, and it's almost like you can see working with Riza. there's moments where he'll look at it and he's, he's processing like, Oh, I mean, can you imagine like a version of your own <laughs> life? Like someone's playing you your best friend and this is kind of like okay what is the essence of this moment of what we're trying to tell with the story that is the reality of what this what whatever we're trying to say but then now we're putting in the capsule now we're on a sound stage and it's on a set and this version of the you know it's, it's just it gets it gets pretty wild pretty quickly but it was a really fun process to be kind of plugged in right in the, the, the vortex of all that kind of creative energy it was very it's very unique and um and it was great to be working with Riz at the end of the series because I'd been at the series from the beginning. So it's like, this is his world and story, but I've also been, you know, you know, the key part of the process of how we're telling this particular story, right. like as a cinematographer would be in any other project that you've worked on a long time. So visually in terms of how we've been, the language of how we tell the story or certain moments or when we, what, how it makes sense to push this moment camera wise or lighting wise and have those conversations. And you're the one constant, right? So- right. So you're carrying the cohesiveness of, of, of the whole show. And yeah, so I, I, I totally agree, agree with you with that. Yeah. Well, Nico, I know, um, I know there's not much you can give away when it comes to Chupa, but I am curious and I'll, I'll kind of change the question a little, cause I, I would like to know if you can get into the prep process of that, but I'd also love to hear a little bit about how you went about building trust with Jonas and, you know, because that's sure. one of the most important things in your relationship with a director is just, you know, you both have to truly trust each other. So yeah, I mean, just, just expand yeah. on that. Absolutely. I, I wanted to, to add a quick thing, which is I worked on this one day as a camera operator on this uh, Wu-Tang Clan documentary 
where they're oh, all yeah. in this room. It's called, uh, I think Mass Appeal did it because I was doing a, a different documentary with them and it just happened to coincide and I was available. And it was extremely exciting because, you know, it was all the Wu-Tang Clan in the same room watching, I think, videos of themselves. And um, it was beautiful to watch. I mean, I was just an additional camera operator, but I, I could sense just from that one day you know, what incredible energies you must have been dealing with. And, you know, these awesome stories that, you know, they they obviously were reminiscing about. So I, I definitely recognize uh, a, a little bit of, of, I'm sure, what great benefits you got from it. And, um, and yeah, that's the, the, the show looks awesome. So congratulations on it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, that's great. You got a, a taste of it. Yeah, it's definitely its own unique, you know, unique universe. I don't know how to describe it. It's this own unique, you know, they, they've, and obviously, you know, we just saw them at the, the bowl, the Hollywood bowl a couple of weeks, whenever that was a couple of weeks and it was great to see. I've been in like, I've been in the alternate reality 90s version. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And I'm like, oh yeah, the Wu-Tang Clan 2022. <laughs> oh yeah, whoa. It was great. But uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't know. No, 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 that's awesome. I just want, want to say that. Um, no, the, the so I, I did Chupa with Juna Squadron um the the first thing i i want to say is that i think you know i am so grateful to have shot that beautiful beautiful project because everyone around me was just so incredibly talented and you know the production designer the um, art director the costume designer everyone around me was just reaping and exuding so much inspiration that when i came into the project it was hard not to you know myself be so inspired by it and Jonas is probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life uh, but he's also incredibly attuned emotionally as a director he is incredibly aware um, and working with him was an incredible experience mostly because I was learning every single day by every single conversation I was having with him because um, he, his, his level of, of, of uh, standard for storytelling is so high that every single decision that you have to make uh, influences that down to, you know, the, color of a wall to the position of a light to whether the camera is five millimeters to the right or to the left this is a, this amazing visionary director who understands and not only demands but understands how all of these things will influence your story so it was an incredible gift for me to learn from someone like that who every day could could you know uh, remind me of of the value of all these different decisions, and then eventually forming an incredible partnership with him in that we would create this beautiful back and forth and the synergy of how we're gonna make decisions together. And of course, we wouldn't agree all the time, we still don't, but that's the beauty of it is when there's that freedom of being completely in tune with your artistic integrity you know, and that has a lot to do with compatibility, of course, because uh, artistic integrity could sometimes not be compatible with someone else's artistic integrity. But 
there has to be that, right? There has to be truth and honesty behind every decision you make, behind every argument, um, along with respect, with the vision of a director. So to answer your question, Maria, you know, I didn't know Jonas before. So when I started the project, it was a whole new experience for me to, you know, understand how he looks at this movie, what's my interpretation of the script. And there was a lot of that, you know, a lot of these conversations that um, were were sort of weaving the 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 the, the net that would be our, our partnership, but it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of conversations and it takes a lot of, um, you know, being there and being completely committed, which is the hardest part about this industry, because I feel like the only way to truly be in this industry um, and be involved in it is to give everything, you know, give your all, like give 1000%. Um, but that's the only way that you can create these these incredible partnerships or to you know be really invested in your project and and make sure that every single decision that you're making as a head of a department is the best decision you could have made at that time so um but yes i'm very excited for the movie to come out it'll come out next year and i'm so excited to see what it all looks like and how it all works uh, because it's there's a lot of effects, um, but there's a lot of technical challenges. There's a lot of creative challenges, and um, I'm just so grateful for Netflix, for you know, uh, the producers, and the of course Jonas. Yeah, you know, you you just touched on this, and it's a topic I really did want to dive into because I don't think it's really addressed enough, but. You know, you mentioned how you have to be completely immersed in the project. You have to give it your all completely. Yes. Your obsession with it has to be all encompassing. Yes. But I mean, that really is a sacrifice. And, you know, I, I grew up in this world, you know, my dad works in film. I grew up, he'd be gone for very long stretches of time. And I knew from a very young age that I wanted to also work in this industry. But I literally like always told myself, like, I not have a family like I, I just knew I was like in order to be like fully immersed in this I mean my dad is very fortunate to have an amazing woman by his side who raised me and my sister but for me I was like well I don't want to rely on a husband so I've kind of just had that in my head like I will sacrifice that aspect in order to like fully immerse myself into directing so I'm curious um Gavin I'll start with you whether you know you felt like you've had to sacrifice aspects of your life in order to reach the point that you're at. Yeah, you know, I'm no, I'm glad you bring that up. And I know, yeah, you're. I mean, it, it, it's it, it is right. It's um, it's a constant, right? I mean, it's a constant juggling act. I, you know, I have a family, I have a, um, a wife and and son who's nine years old, and and uh, actually I actually have an older daughter who's in her in her twenties uh, now as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's something, frankly, it's never, it's never easier. You know, the more you do it, this is my own experience, of course, the more you do it, you, you figure out ways to, to navigate and, and what works better and not from being frankly away from home for big stretches of time. You know, I mean, like, and my wife, Danielle and I've been together a long time. So, you know, it, it's not new now. It's not, it's not, you know, it, it's something we, we know how to do a dance and she's fortunately very independent. Um, 
And so we can do that, but it's hard, you know, I don't like going away from home, you know, it's, as I get older, it's like, you know, it's, it's one thing, you know, when, and I'm glad you have the insight to kind of think about that. Um, You know, I've already been thinking about that from a younger age. When I was starting out, it was like, you know, I thought about it, but I was also, you know, I was motivated to go, I was like, this would be great. You know, if I, if I can, if I, if I'm fortunate enough to get far enough that I can shoot and travel and do this, it'd be really great. We'll figure it out. And then, you know, you, you live through it and you have to figure out, you have to actually figure out, okay, now I'm going to be gone for X amount of months. And, oh, I need to stay in town for a few months to try to be at home and try to not be gone all the time. And, you know, it's like, you just figure out every step, but it doesn't, it's uh, and it's tricky because, you know, every time I come, every time I come home, you know, there's a, a couple of weeks at least of like, who's this, I'm back in this house. And I, I know you're my husband, but we, this is, we got this whole thing worked like there's a whole system where right now. We love you, but you know, and I'm like, Hey, I gotta, first of all, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> now I got to plug back, you know, it's like this whole like dance, you know, it's like this whole kind of reorient and recalibrating every time it's fascinating, you know, and you know, it's coming and you still got to figure it out and like get on the same page and it, you know, and same thing when you're leaving, it's awful to leave. And, and then you're working somewhere, you know, like Nico's uh, Nico obviously hit on it right on the head. It's like, you're all in, right. You're working generally if, if you're passionate about what you're doing which hopefully we are because it takes a lot but yeah it's like you're all in so when I'm working on wherever I am even if it's here I'm working I'm all in but the hours are long I'm all in that's what's occupying my mind so it's definitely like um it's a bit you know it's a bit a bit of a world of extremes are I think our lives right one way it's kind of one way or another and you try that's to a great way to put it yeah it's, and the two feel each other right I mean um you know I definitely try in my time off or time between projects, you know, to, to re it's like a, you're like feeding yourself, you know, creatively, at least, you know, whether that's and soul, you know, for your soul, it's time with family, time with friends, reconnecting with colleagues or folks I haven't seen in a while. It's obviously trying to catch up on the millions of, you know, films and series that I wasn't able to, you know, while I was working the past few months, it's hiking, it's being outside, it's museums, it's photography. It's like, it's like, it's like a, just a refueling period. I I try to find, which is super important. You know, I I think earlier on, I was, um, you know, I was aware of that, but like, it was just, it was just like work, 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 work. You know, it was like the kind of drive and ambition of trying to make sure I keep working all the time. And, you know, it was like, I didn't give myself enough to those, those kind of recharge times, which I find that are actually extremely important for me. Absolutely. For me to actually like acknowledge and appreciate and for your sanity, like you're saying, it's like, uh, it, it's not just like a, you know, uh, it's not just like a bonus time or so it's actually an, an integral part of the process of being doing at least, you know, for me, being able to be successful. I don't mean successful careers, but like uh, functional <laughs> and as an artist, you know, as an artist, as a cinematographer, be able to give my all when I'm on those projects, I need to be able to balance it as best I can. It's not, it's not easy or great. I mean, but you also figure out like during the pandemic, uh, of course, this could be a whole other thing, but, you know, we were fortunate. I was working in New York on Wu-Tang and then also this pilot, the, the Equalizer pilot, Queen Latifah. And so it ended up being there for a long stretch. Uh, and my wife's a teacher and my son was every, this was still when things were online kind of pre-vaccines. And so we're like, let's all, this is one unique time that we could all be together. We all went out to New York, lived out. We were all together. They were, you know, online. Remotely. 
LA, you know, and again, it had its challenges. We're in the middle of a pandemic, but it was also very fortunate that we could all be together for six months or whatever it was and in an apartment in New York and figured out and made it work. Um, and that was a beautiful kind of, obviously it's amidst the pandemic and a lot of, you know, a lot of, lot going on in the world, but at least we were together and for, be able, we were able to do that. Obviously a lot of folks didn't have that, you know, weren't able to do that, but it was something that was a beautiful moment that we could at least try to, so it's like, and every time, you know, we, they try to travel, but now that my son's in school, those first few years, you have a little more wiggle room, but when your kid or kids are in school, it gets a little tricky to kind of have them travel with you. But I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know, Nico, what, what about you? What I, I you, think, no, I think what, what you're mentioning, I, I totally uh, identify with. Um, one thing that, that, that you made me think about is that, you know, when you said that we, this industry is kind of a world of extremes, because yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember, but I think, I don't think there's been a project that I haven't done where I don't feel like I'm redlining at some point, mm. you know, like if we're going to be honest with ourselves, like, like, there's days that you are redlining, you know, where you're just like going really hard and, you know, you realize that, you know, you're going to have to get up in the morning and do that, or you're going to have to get up in the morning and get on a flight to do the next thing. And it's like, there's serious questions of sustainability when, when, you know, I think of, of that, because I'm, I'm like, okay, well, well, where's that time for my own health, for example? You know, where's my own time for uh, building a family or, you know, being, have, having time with a family or just recuperating artistically, you mm -hmm. know, finding an outlet in which you can let your creativity energy build up again. And, but it's a really tough thing because I'm sure other people have said it similar, but we're also so lucky to be working in this industry. Mm -hmm. You know, like, are you kidding me? We don't get to, we don't have to sit in a nine to five job. We get to go and tell stories and use these awesome cameras and decide where to put the light and, you know, talk with filmmakers and make friends and have people feel like family. Like, are you kidding me? That is a dream job. But why is it that sometimes I feel like I can't, you know, complain about that, mm. you know? Why is it that I can't recognize that there are some unhealthy aspects of, of the requirements? And the worst part about all of this is that I know all of this and yet I have zero, you know, sustainable solutions. I'm sure other people have better solutions or have solutions, period. But when I think about it, I'm like, I'm like, well, no, because my next project, I actually want to be all in. And like, I, I want to, like, I want to not sleep. I want to like have this be the only thing I think about. But then another side of me is like, man, that is not sustainable. So I, I personally feel so conflicted because I'm mm. like, part of me actually wants this redlining because I feel like it's the only way that I'm going to fully achieve what I want to achieve and the quality that I want to achieve it for myself let alone the project just for myself this is what i want but then another side of it is like it's like man like what is this outlook you know like how is this sustainable um what do you guys think about that that idea i mean gavin kind of touched on it like it sounds it sounds really fantastic that you've been able to take 
the time to recuperate between projects. And I'm curious if that's because you have kind of gotten more into, um, you know, TV series where you have that hiatus and you know that there'll be another season later on. Like, do you feel like maybe that kind of gives you that room to breathe? Yeah, no, that's a it's honestly, it, it depends. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I just finished the Wu-Tang series, yeah, I, the, but I didn't know, for example, I was doing the third season when season two ended because they hadn't announced it and I was on something up. Like, it just depends on the timing. I mean, mm -hmm. frankly, you know, sometimes I feel more comfortable like, okay, I'm going to pass on this or I'm not, you know, I'm not going to actively push for something else or this because yes, I know season X is going to come around in a, in a few months and that at least gives me some peace of mind, but sometimes no. Um, and then sometimes I, I don't feel comfortable, frankly, you know, sometimes I'm like, no, I, I should, this project's come up or whatever, the way this all lines up, I should just do it. And it's, it's hard on the bus and we have to figure out, but we all, I mean, we all talk about it as a family, but uh, yeah, it's not, it's never. Um, and maybe some folks can have figured out, you know, like you're saying, you go, I don't know the solutions. Some folks maybe figure out a better way to deal, but I, I find that, it just, it depends on the circumstances of the moment. Like, yeah, so, or, you know, like it depends yeah. what the last year has been like for you, both, you know, work, how busy you've been fortunate or not. It depends how you feel. Right. I mean, sometimes right. like, I gotta be honest, like coming off Wu-Tang, which is great. I had been working, I was, I was on little America right into Wu-Tang. Like I finished little America, which I was a beautiful series. Uh, and the next day, next morning, got on a plane, that kind wow. of thing. Which, yeah. 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 One, one of those, right. So yeah, fine. As fortunate again, like you're saying, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, if you're, <laughs> we're smart, we're grateful to be able to, I mean, what an amazing thing we get to do every day. So it's like, right. I'm grateful, fortunate, but it's also like, okay, I've been working. It's the flip side that's like, I'm spent by the time I finished routine, it was great. But I was also like, I need, you know, I actually need physically I'm, you know spent mentally i'm spent emotionally i'm spent i need a little recharge moment i just can't it's not it wouldn't be healthy nor would it be frankly good artist you know i no, mentally of course yeah that's what you're saying it's not just a physical kind of stamina thing or like a it's like a it's also artistically you need oh, it's like percent it's like I find that, yeah, I actually need the moment to kind of rebalance, recalibrate, even if it's a few weeks or it depends on what it is to like, yes, catch up on sleep and, and get back into shape a little bit, but also kind of just, I don't know, it's like, it's like a palate cleanse, you know, like an artistic, like a creative palate cleanse in order to be ready for the next, you know, marathon, essentially, whatever it is, you know, if it's going to be a long form. I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I was the, the only thing I was going to interject with, with that is that I feel like personally for me, when I feel creatively spent, it starts truly affecting me at uh, my intuition level. Mm -hmm. And as artists, we really have to rely on our intuition because it has, you know, so much more depth of knowledge than our prefrontal cortex and our you know, immediate thoughts could ever have. Because I believe that our intuition has access to everything we have learned. And sometimes even things we are yet to learn, you know, it's like, that's the magic of being an artist is that uh, we are fueled by this energy that we can almost not understand, that mm. we could call our intuition. And that's what I never want to feel sacrificed. You know, like, because that's when, when I'm shooting and I'm composing and I'm lighting and I look at the frame, 
I get sometimes this feeling of like, this is right. And, or I'll get a feeling of like, this isn't right, but this would be right. And it's like this amazing moment of tapping into that, like pool of endless knowledge and, and intuitive, uh, I guess, creativity that is so fulfilling. Like it, it just makes me feel like I have, I'm making the right choices. They feel right. They look right. They're telling the story right. And when I'm spent and when I'm redlining, I've sometimes felt like I'm on set and I start, the voice of my intuition starts becoming a little bit more quiet. And mm. I have to work way extra harder to bring it out again. And I've had moments where I literally will wake up in the morning and it'll be completely quiet and I'll have to meditate or do something to either drown out my, you know, louder thoughts or to try to resurface that creativity thought or, or, or uh, intuition. And I realize that that's what I focus on whenever I'm taking a hiatus or whenever I'm focusing on not working is I try to do everything in my power to empower my intuitive creative thoughts. Hmm. Yeah. That's a really, yeah, that's a really beautiful way to put it. Um, that's interesting way to, yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's uh, and then that makes me think, um, I mean, you know, cause I've been in episodic, mostly recently is it's it's a marathon not a sprint on episodic right so right. it's like right it's whatever it is even if you're just doing a i mean a pilot is, is more like a feature maybe but for for sure but you know if you're doing 10 episodes of something or or you're alternating because i'm alternating on 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 these shows, you know whatever you're, you're still doing x amount of months four or five months and that's a that's just you know there's a, a point no matter how much you love the project where, like you're saying, the stamina, it's like, you know, it's an endurance, a creative endurance test, right? Oh, 100%. You know, there'll be a point where you're like, okay, I, I still love what we're doing, but it's like, yeah, because I can't get the proper sleep or break or just reset moment, I'm, I'm fatigued. It's a bit of a fatigue. And so it's accessing like, okay, how do I, how do I, you know, yeah, like you're saying, you, how you're putting a redlining, it's, it's definitely a constant kind of, um, it's a, it's, it, is, it can be a challenge for sure. It can. Um, yeah. And, and, and yeah. also your presence with your collaborators, I think yes. also suffers, you know, because you're, you're going to be the most present when you're not having other th things occupy your mind, such as like, holy shit, I'm really tired or, or, oh my God, I'm, I'm redlining. I need to, you know, take a break or, or, I, you know, all these things sometimes come up and, and, and I think that, that, we are in such a collaborative medium that it's almost our responsibility as you know head of departments and especially as cinematographers to be extremely available to collaborate mm -hmm. and to be extremely involved in a conversation that will influence the project you're working on with your director or with your production designer or whoever it is and that's that, that's one of the parts that I always am extremely vigilant on because if mm -hmm. I'm having an important conversation and suddenly my mind starts asking me like, wait, have you drunk enough water? Are you feeling a little woozy? Have you eaten enough? You know, that's so detrimental 
because that's a, that's affecting your ability to collaborate as well. Right. So I do think to a certain extent, it's like uh, you said it really well, which is that it all depends on so many circumstances and variables. So it's like, what is the project? Where does it shoot? You know, how do you feel? You know, are you already tired or do you have all this energy? But I think that it's a responsibility as filmmakers for us to uh, create awareness as much as possible to our own selves and our own limits and and our own mental health, you know, forming the language to talk about and understand how we're feeling and what is our immediate intellectual and emotional availability, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to be realistic about that and be like, fuck, I'm not available right now because I'm stressed out of my mind or I'm completely you know forgetting to drink water on set or or I haven't sat down in 10 hours you know it's like it's I found that the only way that I can go through a project is like being so brutally honest and in tune with how I feel and having actionable plans to address those things um, so that I can actually be available and if I can address those things within you know, a few hours or a few minutes sometimes, and that means it's time for a break. And then mm-hmm. also being realistic about that, you know? Yeah. Uh, sorry, it, it just, I mean, what, what's, I mean, this conversation is great. And what I feel like is just in my limited, you know, experience of past couple years, I feel like these kind of conversations, even with folks I'm working with are happening a bit more, you know, mm-hmm. obviously mental health in general, but like, which is good. It's, it's like, you know, and maybe it's, I don't know it's my own frame of reference or not, but I, I feel like that really, you know, even with the producers or with, you know, cause it is, everybody's all in with the producers, directors, cast, like these, at least the, the conversations starting to, you know, happen with the people we're working with where I think, feel like a few years ago, um, obviously this is an overgeneralization, but like, I feel like it would just, a given would be, you kind of don't really talk about it. Right. We're right. always you know, just a simple thing of like, which is still, you know, pre-pandemic would be like, you know, when we're sick, I don't know about, you know, unless it was, unless I couldn't walk, I, I would, you know, I'm a DP on a something, you know, right. if it's right. important, I'm expected, you know, oh, I got a flu, you know, it's like. Well, it was a know. badge of honor, like saying that you worked yeah, exactly. 20 hours, like it was like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, or yeah. the hours, right, which you've all, you know, all these things are kind of getting, coming through the we're still in the pandemic, but, you know, coming through the, coming through that whole terrain of the pandemic is kind of re, wait a second, what are we doing? You know, a lot of these conversations coming out, like, wait a second, this isn't healthy, what we were doing. This isn't sustainable. Like you're saying, this isn't, you know, like, how can we re, re, you know, look at these things in a different way that opens it. So I'm glad those conversations are happening because it it definitely, I can think of pre, you know, yeah, some of the hours on some of these things were just, they're they're not, they're not safe. They're not sustainable. Yes. They're not healthy. And, and the works, you know, I mean, look, the work, you know, like you're saying, if you're not, it's like, uh, yeah, if you're not able to full, if everybody's not in the right headspace all the time, that's how those days get, you know, you can shoot much more efficiently if everyone's had some sleep and, you know, yeah. you'll make your days, you'll make better work and you can actually shoot quickly, quicker, and more efficient than these days that draw drawn out and you're shooting fratter days and then you're coming back you know, Monday morning, like, and no one slept. It's like, th- these things are, there's real impacts on what you're actually creating. So I'm glad that these conversations are happening. 
people are actually starting to trust them. I, I like agree. Well, um, Nico, you go. Oh, sorry. No, I, 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 I interrupt. No, I was just going to say that I, I think that a big detriment to all of this is that there's this unspoken expectation that um, you need to be a superhuman when you're working, mm. right? And unfortunately, there's so many people that also want to work that that there's this idea of like, okay, well, there's always someone else. Mm -hmm. And that is a fear right. that all of us filmmakers live with, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's why I think we stretch it ourselves even more because we know in the back of our heads, there's always someone else, you know? Yeah. And that is, I think, a really toxic uh, way of thinking about your, your, yourself and your value. Um, and I and I've certainly been a victim to it myself, and that is I think what what creates sometimes these, you know, this willingness of like, all right, I will work thirty hours, you know, all right, I'll will I will sustain this, I won't say a peep or or anything. Um, so I do think that it's it has to be a, a a two structured thing. One of them is your self awareness, but the other one is yes, there has to be actually some changes in the industry so that you know people aren't forced into unsafe situations and i think bradford young has said it really well and in, in other interviews where he talks about this and time with family and and those actionable changes are are, are definitely something that you know would be good for any human in any industry you know mm -hmm. yeah i've always found it quite ironic that you know, we are storytellers and artists, but oftentimes we don't even have time to like have our own stories, you know? Right. That's a good point. Yeah. That's, that's such a good point. Um, I could talk to you guys for the rest of the day. I want to ask one final question that does kind of stay on this topic though. Um, but I guess it would be a little bit beneficial for people listening is have you guys found any rituals or you know, how, how do you center yourself while you're on a project? Like, are there little things that you do to kind of, you know, stop the red lighting from happening? <laughs> or nothing. <laughs> Crickets, I'm kidding. Um, let's, you mean while, while, while I'm working? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think what, I mean, it uh, depends on where I am or what I'm doing, but I, I'm, hmm, what's the right way to answer that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously trying to catch up on sleep on the weekends, um, time where, you know, for me, it's even just basic. I mean, everybody's different, but for me, it is basic, basic exercise. Like I found, I used to kind of go in and out of, um, you know, like when I was younger in and out, like you physically you could just push yourself further, frankly, you know what I mean? Not that I'm, you know, but like now it's like in the past few years, I'm like, Oh yeah, no, if I can, it's not going to be consistent because on these crazy hours, I can't keep that on. But if I can constantly or, or, or meditation or stretches, or even if it's just basic everyday kind of like moments where I can focus on myself physically to kind of reset, that makes a big difference. Because when I've taken that for granted, my kind of physical condition, it can definitely, you know, obviously mental and physical is all interrelated. So when you're hyper stressed and or fatigued, your body reacts and that you know feeds back on itself in terms of mentally and I, I can get physically just kind of out of whack you know like oh my back or oh, that and it's like I used to kind of just be able to power through those things and I'm like no I need to make sure I'm 
I'm physically feeling this as, as balanced as I can. And that makes a big difference. Um, and you're out of your head in, in a different way too. So that's something that I found that I'm trying to work on better. Um, and just even if the weekends are short or the time is short after you're working, it's trying to disconnect. I mean, it's tricky, like you're saying, Nico, because things will come up when you're even you're not on set. You're, you're depending on what you're doing. You're prepping or getting emails or texts or for the regarding the next day, the next thing that's coming up for the set. It's like you can you almost you can always be plugged in, and sometimes you have to be. But it's also sometimes trying to just disconnect for a certain amount of time and really focus on family or just taking a walk or just really trying to talk call someone on the phone I haven't talked to in a while like it sounds like really obvious things but at least for me it's easy to let those things go when you know you're in the midst of it and you're just so work oriented that you're you're just you, you just have the blinders on nothing else exists out I'm like no I need to I have to in order to stay sane I got to take take a little bit of time to do x y or z outside of that but that's that's a perpetual challenge right <laughs> it's easier said than done yeah. I totally agree. No, I completely agree. I would say exercise diet, those two things yeah. being healthy about them and realistic about them. Um, and then for me personally, I try to do things that are as far away as possible from anything that has to do with filmmaking. And, and I'm very conscious that, that I do these, these things like um, I was taking flight lessons to learn how to fly a plane recently. Oh, wow. um, you know, I, I also love building guitars and playing guitar. I have a fascination for, you know, sometimes some mechanical things and working on a motor. You know, it's like it's I try to do things that are as far away as possible, even, you know, reading novels that you know, haven't been made into a movie, you know, th things like that, that make me feel like I'm, I'm a human outside of filmmaking is the best recipe for me to come back to filmmaking with whole new ideas and whole new skills and also a way to mentally separate myself from um, my diligence in my work to my personal care and who I am identity wise as a human being outside of film is what I would say. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up, I meant to mention music as well. Cause I, I play, I play guitar, I played music a long time. Oh, that's awesome. But so that is a huge one because yeah. it's a whole nother, it's creative, but it's a different, it's overlapping wavelengths, but it's, it's like, it's a different world that you can, you can absolutely dive into and, and get in your own zone. It's not, you know, directly related to, to a film yeah uh, no totally I, I agree with that yeah yeah there's something very mad you know meditative about in your headspace with music so that's a, that's a really good one yeah 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 well before we log off do you guys have any final thoughts or advice or any bits of wisdom or are you tapped out I just um, want to thank Gavin really for I, I'm I'm glad to to meet you, Gavin. I think you brought so many interesting things, and I'm sure you have maybe a couple of more to to say. But I just wanted to thank you, Maria, as well, and and Gavin, yeah, for allowing me to talk to you guys. Yeah, yeah. No, I want to thank you both for for you know for this conversation and and for having me on, Maria, and everything. I mean, like I was saying at the beginning, this the series has been great. Um, 
and just building community. You know, we didn't talk about it too much, but building you know community with other artists, cinematographers, yes. just general. You know, we all have our own relationships, but even even though we're not all in the same room having this conversation, this is it's really fruitful and beneficial. It's great to meet you all, and like you know, it's this is what we need. You know, you're really adding a by having having this series. You're really putting this out into the world in a really beautiful way because it's sparking other conversations and other, you know, it's all part of the community. So yeah, thank you for, thank you for this series and having me on. No, honest, it was a true honor. Like these always make me feel so whole afterwards, you know, mm -hmm. hearing different perspectives from artists I really admire. It always, yeah, it's, it's incredibly inspiring. And yeah, just thank you both for your time. It's been a pleasure, Gavin. You're welcome to the little Mexican friend group. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and yeah, thanks to all of our audience members for listening and for supporting this platform. And yeah, just listening to these artists discuss their crafts and, you know, all the topics that we touched on today. I think we, we hit on some really important conversations. And yeah, you can follow us on Instagram, watch our videos on YouTube and subscribe to our podcast and um, follow us on Instagram. Yeah, to get the updates on our upcoming roundtables. And we'll see you all soon. Thank you.